Grace, peace, and mercy to you for God our Father and the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us pray. Almighty and everlasting God, you sent your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, to take upon himself our flesh and to suffer death upon the cross. Mercifully grant that we may follow the example of his great humility and patience and be made partakers of his resurrection through the same Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Greetings to all of you. This day is Palm Sunday, the first day of Holy Week. And as I've mentioned before, I record this podcast that's known as the 101 series, specifically on weeks that I am not preaching. Now, this week I actually do preach for Maundy Thursday, but because it's Holy Week, I'm going to kind of, I'm going to actually have multiple recordings this week. So, and the purpose of the recordings is we are going to, today I'm going to talk a little bit about the traditions of Holy Week, and then when we're, after that, uh, we're going to go, we're going to read through uh, the traditional, the reading for Palm Sunday, or the, the processional reading for Palm Sunday, and the gospel lesson that is assigned for Holy Monday. The next three days, we will be going, th- we're going to be walking through all three accounts of the Passion. So tomorrow we're going to read Matthew's Gospel, Tuesday Mark, um, and Wednesday will be Luke's, uh, hopefully. No guarantees on that, but I'm going to try to get that recorded. So, with that in mind, we're going to first talk a little bit about the see- the week of- that is Holy Week. Holy Week tells the story of Jesus. The story of our Savior and God's plan for us. On Palm Sunday, crowds cheer for an earthly king. Palms wave and shouts of praise ring Hosanna. And we see rich purple, the color of kings, on the altar. Monday, Thursday, one of faith's greatest mysteries began that night. The Lord's Supper. Our Lord Jesus Christ, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is given for you, this do in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you. This cup is the New Testament in my blood, which is shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. On Monday, Thursday, The altar is stripped bare, just as Jesus was stripped for us. Good Friday. God's good plan shines through even the darkest moments. We drape the cross in black, the lights dim, and our sins fall on our Savior. It is finished. We leave in silence. 
Easter Sunday dawns bright and new with joyous songs of praise. Alleluia, Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. We celebrate the new life we have in Christ. So there was a recording, if you could hear it, from uh, Concordia Publishing House talking about the about Holy Week to some small degree. Um, it was very much your um, fast-forward edition talking about what Holy Week is. Uh, but it really misses a lot of things. But it's getting you starting to think about it. So as I mentioned, Holy Week begins with today, Palm Sunday. And so now as I'm talking about these traditions, I'm going to let you know that there's great variety in churches as to what you do and what you don't do. Uh, so I'm I'm focusing on just some of the traditions. And so, but again, noting that not every church will do these, uh, but it is something that is available and it's an option to do. So Palm Sunday, it begins with the tradition. One of the traditions is is what it's become is what is known is the the Palm Sunday procession. There are two ways you do this. Either um, you'd have the the pastor in front of the at the entryway into the church into the sanctuary or what I think is the better version is where the pastor in the entire congregation gathers out in the parking lot or wherever on the outside of the church and they all gather around and the pastor says it says a prayer, and he eventually starts reading of the Palm Sunday account, the Palm Sunday reading, which we're going to read a little bit later here. And so they read it, and then, and every, by the way, everyone has palm branches, and then everybody, then the pastor goes to the entryway to the sanctuary, and then the organist, whoever may be, starts playing All glory, Lord, and honor to you, Redeemer King. So that song that you just heard um, at the very beginning of this recording, they play that in the church. The entire congregation goes in. Many churches just have the children or whatever. That's what we did today. But, uh, and that's that's good. That's okay. But the, the really, really, I think the, the best way to do it and it's not always practical and kind of it's, it's a shock when you first do it but it's so cool i remember when we went to um when i was a, a student at concordia university wisconsin i remember going to the chapel and f going to our chapel service for palm sunday and we were all told to wait out in the hallway to enter into the church and it's like i said it's a really really cool thing and and so it's a reminder that it was all of his disciples that followed Jesus in. And so we sing all glory, laud, and honor. And we all get to our seats. And then we get to the seats. The pastor stops. And there's a moment of silence. And the reason is it's to remind you that now we are entering into Holy Week. Yes, there's the triumphal entry into Jerusalem on the donkey, but the reality is, is that Jesus came into Jerusalem to present himself as a sacrifice. And so 
There's a period of silence, and then the pastor prays a second collect, and then they begin into the service, and they do some readings. And this is one of the things that, um, there's two traditions in terms of the readings. Some people will read the rest of John chapter 12. So John's account of the Palm Sunday is the traditional reading for the uh, Palm Sunday procession. And so what they would do is, for the gospel lesson that day, they would read the rest of that chapter. Uh, but the more ancient tradition is to read uh, Matthew's account of the Passion. And so... And the thing is, you're thinking, wait, but that's camp of the ancient tradition. I grew up on the Lutheran hymnal, the TLH, page 5 and 15. And I'm telling you, we did not do uh, the Paul, the the uh, Passion readings on, on Palm Sunday. That's an innovation of these new hymnals. Actually, the truth is not that those who, the, the practice of not reading the Matthew's Passion on Palm Sunday is... And innovation. Uh, and the reason it got innovated around the 40s was because there's a widespread tradition of celebrating confirmation on Palm Sunday. And so in order to be able to accommodate it time-wise, they got a shorter gospel lesson. The problem ended up being is what they found is that the confirmation trumped Palm Sunday. And, and, it's, and honestly, even beyond that is... Confirmation, people get done, they're going to go and they're going to have parties, they're going to be having cake and coffee, they're going to be having a, just a blast of a time with all their friends, it's a huge celebration. It doesn't fit with Palm Sunday, because Palm, and we're going to get to this in a little bit, Palm Sunday ends very somber if it's done right. And so, so what the practice is, is the re, you read... Um, the, the Passion according to St. Matthew. And there's a point where the, where the pastor says, and he died, he will pause to let you think on the fact that Jesus, God himself, in the flesh, died. So he'll stop, and he'll turn towards the cross and bow. Turn back or, or towards the, the lectern, and he'll continue reading. And then when the reading is done, there is a tradition that has risen amongst some churches in that when the reading is done, there is a tolling of the bells. And it's done 33 times in some for the 33 like, possible years that Jesus lived. And so, and then the hymn of the day is a lamb goes uncomplaining forth. Churches vary on that. Um, personally, I love that hymn. And I honestly, I think if you do it, um, it's better to go with the TLH version because um, there's a couple really, really good verses that the new hymnal cut out. Uh, so, but either, but it's still good in the new hymnal. And so that is sung. And of course you have the sermon. Um, and by the way, as a note, when those bells are tolled, if it's done right, if you do the full Holy Week practice, that is the last time you hear the bells in church all week. And I'll tell you when those bells come back. So, you present, and so you have the service, and then there's, and then at the end of, so there are three traditional hymns 
four, there are three hymns that are the traditional hymns for Palm Sunday. The first one is All Glory, Laud, and Honor, which is the, it's always the processional hymn for um, Palm Sunday. The second one is the hymn of the day, which that one's a little bit more fluid than the other, but I prefer it always being sung because it's a great, great hymn of Paul Gerhardt. But that's just me. And that's all Lamb, or Lamb goes on complaining forth. But the third one is Right On, Right On in Majesty. And here's the, here's where this is something that's so right on, right on in majesty. If you pick out a hymnal and you look at the words of it, you're gonna notice uh, just how uh, somber that hymn really is. And um, I'm gonna try to pull up the hymnal here on uh, my iPad, so that way I could kind of I could read at least some of these words. Bear with me. I know I'm taking a little bit here. Okay, so right on, right on in majesty. So here, he listen to these last three verses in particular. Right on, right on in majesty. The angel armies of the sky look down with sad and wondering eyes to see the approaching sacrifice. Right on, right on in majesty. Thy last and fiercest strife is nigh. The father on his sapphire throne awaits his own anointed son. Ride on, ride on in majesty. In lowly pomp, ride on to die. Bow thy meek head to mortal pain. Then take, O God, thy power and reign. Powerful stuff, reminding you that this Palm Sunday is setting. When Jesus rode into Jerusalem, he was presenting himself as God's lamb of sacrifice on the week of Passover. So this is why going to the whole thing of why confirmation on Palm Sunday is honestly not appropriate. Is because it's such a celebrative thing, and I'm sorry. And here's the thing: you got to remember, confirmation is a tradition of the church. It is not of the Bible. It's not biblical. And yes, Holy Week is. The traditions are traditions, but the story of Palm Sunday is not a tradition. It's not the same level. It is scriptural. It's not a human tradition. It is God's. What God has done, and part of being big part of being a Christian is meditating on what the fullness of what Jesus had done. That's why we celebrate Holy Week. Because we <coughs> we are not likely to do this regularly. So we need this time to intently focus upon the reality of what our God has done for us. And Doing that, palm, celebration of Palm Sunday is more important than the celebration of Confirmation. Which is why I'm the belief Confirmation should be, if you're going to do it, either do it somewhere later in Easter, or I like what some of the churches have done, and they moved it all the way into October. And so, it's there's pretty much no chance it's going to overshadow, um, a, it's not going to overshadow any major festival in the church. Uh, so, 
like I said, the whole parties and all that stuff just absolutely strip Palm Sunday of what it's doing. And so, you, and so the if you do a recessional on Palm Sunday, you nor, most recessionals you do it during the last verse or two. On Palm Sunday, you don't do that. If you're going to do the recessional, there is no organ music. It's silent. Letting you know that that cross is processing... When that cross is recessing down that aisle, it's reminding you that Jesus is going to go out of Jerusalem later that very week to go to the top of Golgotha to have nails driven deep into his feet and to his hands. And he is to be the lamb of sacrifice for you and for me. So, then you have Holy Week. So there's Holy Monday, Holy Tuesday, Holy Wednesday. Holy Monday is the day that you actually would traditionally read the other half of John 12. Uh, Holy Tuesday, you read uh, Mark's account of the Passion. Holy Wednesday, you read... Uh, Luke's account of the Passion, and I'm going to do that on this podcast um, over the next few days, uh, except for the difference, the only exception is that for Monday we're going to do Matthew's Passion, uh, and then comes Maundy Thursday. Maundy Thursday is uh, the commemoration of the institution of the Lord's Supper, and it's also when Jesus you know, famously washed the disciples' feet, and so there's some traditions, there's actually a tradition to, tied to that. Some churches, the pastor will wash the feet of his confirmation students. And the reason is, is because the confirmation student is the pastor's disciples. Because the word disciple literally means student. Now, ultimately, they're disciples of Jesus, true. But uh, on the more finite level uh, they are disciples of the pastor and actually on account of being disciples of the pastor they are being formed as disciples of Christ if the pastor, assuming the pastor is faithful so that is why that tradition comes out and I, I like it um, you don't have to do it but it's kind of a neat one but either way Palms and Maundy Thursday uh, so oh, I should talk about liturgical colors the color of the the color of the day from Palm Sunday through um, Holy Wednesday is either it could be violet, the color that Lent has been, that it has been for Lent, or it could be scarlet. And not red, but scarlet. Red doesn't really work. Red's usually too bright. Scarlet is more like a blood red. And so, but very few churches have scarlet pyramids, and I tried to look online for them, and they are very difficult to find. And for that reason, it is uh, pretty rare that you find a church that does scarlet, even if that probably is the best color for Holy Week. But Monday Thursday, there's actually three choices for colors. You could continue with the purple, you could do this, or continue with the scarlet if you have that, or you go with the color of white. Now, that seems kind of weird, doesn't it? That is white. Um, I mean, it's Holy Week. Why would you go white? 
Well, the reason is, is because you're celebrating the institution of the Lord's Supper, a sacrament by which the forgiveness of sins comes. And so by celebrating, by having the color white, it's a reminder to you that the Lord's Supper forgives you of your sins, makes you purified, and it makes you white in the blood of the Lamb. But there's, like I said, there's also the other two options. And so each church has their own tradition on that in that regard. And I'm not totally certain which one I prefer. I think all three of them have their merits. Uh, Scarlet, obviously, is the rare one because it's so hard to find. But part of me likes purple because it continues. It doesn't... Um, I feel like white kind of temporarily alleviates Holy Week, and I don't like that entirely. But I get the symbolism to remind you of what the sacrament is, that the Lord's Supper is ultimately a sacrament. So, uh, for the, the service itself, the service is very trimmed down. Uh, there's no benediction. Um, and there, I'm going to get to why that is in a little bit. Uh, but it begins, so it begins with an invocation. And there's going to be, there is a confession, there's a confessional address, which is absolutely powerful. It's really, really, really good, well written. And it's one of those things in our liturgy where I just, I read it, I'm like, what's the point of me even preaching a sermon? It was right there. Which actually gives a good reason for pastors to make sure their Monday Thursday sermon is actually pretty short because it doesn't need to be long. Um... Much of the Monday Thursday liturgy is going to do the job for you. So if you can, limit the length of the sermon. And i got to preach that to myself because I'm not very good at doing that. Uh, so you have, so it begins with that, and then you do a lot of, some of the stuff is normal. Uh, you get, you have the sermon, you have the, the hymn of the day is, Now thank we all our God. Um, and then... The thing that really the so the significant moment though, is uh at the end of the service, and that is with the stripping of the altar. While the pastor reads or someone reads Psalm twenty two or, um I heard or chant it, or I was at a service and they did a a a, a, a musical form of it, but either way, some form or another, they do Psalm twenty two. While the altar is stripped, the the, the communion wares, the Bible, the or I should say the altar book, not the Bible, um, the paraments, the the linen cloth, the everything on the lectern, the pulpit. Um, if you have candles on the altar or a altar crucifix, altar cross, whatever, everything, everything that is there is stripped, it's removed, and to leave the altar bare. And this is one of the most more haunting images in the church's liturgy. And it's very, the reason we do Psalm 22 is because at the, towards the end of Psalm 22, you have the prophecy regarding the stripping of Jesus that his garments, that he would be stripped. And so this is a reminder that Jesus would be stripped um, prior to being crucified. And it's also a reminder that one day we are going to be stripped. We're going to be made bare. We're going to be made nothing. So that stripping is a reminder that one day we will face death and we will have nothing but him. 
And that's all that we need. So the next day, and so notice that, so it doesn't end with a, um, a benediction. And the reason is, is because Monday, Thursday is the start of the Holy Triduum. So at 6 o'clock Thursday night, the Triduum begins, or the three days. And it goes until 6 p.m. on Sunday. And so it involves multiple services. So this is one of the, so one of the traditions that some people do is when they get done with Monday Thursday, they um, they will actually fast, and the idea and they will fast all the way until the Easter vigil or the Easter sunrise service. So the idea is that the first the last food that they last food or drink to touch their lips is the Lord's Supper, and the first food that touches their lips. For food or beverage that touches their lips to end the fast will be the Lord's Supper at the Easter Vigil or the Easter Sunrise. And this is actually where the part of the reason why there is a tradition of having um, large meals on Easter is because there are people that have been fasting. They haven't eaten for a couple days or even a week or some people several weeks. And so this is their time to finally break the fast and enjoy some good food. Um, it's, so it's really hits that celebration of Easter, makes Easter even more celebrative than, um, cause you're, it actually gets your body, your physicality involved into the, the celebration of Holy Week and the celebration of Easter. Um, so, but so all those services, so Monday, Thursday, the services of Good Friday, the service of the Easter vigil and the, um, the Easter sun and or the Easter sunrise service are all part of the Holy Triduum, the three day service, and so part of that is is that so when you have here that Psalm twenty two, you leave the church in silence, and it's not a time to go and party. And I would I would honestly try my best if I were you to not do anything overly extravagant. Don't be going, don't go to a movie, you know, don't have a big, fun, exciting night. You are, the best way to do it is try to find something relaxed and find time for devotion. Meditate upon the crucifixion because basically when that service ends on Monday, Thursday, it is to give you a break to get ready for the Good Friday services. And some churches will have two Good Friday services. And the first one is what is known as the chief service. And the chief service is done, if it's done right, you will schedule it so it ends at exactly 3 o'clock, which is the time which Jesus died. And so inside, in the liturgy, um, you read John John's account of the Passion. So if you're wondering, as it's talking about Holy Week, well, why you're talking about all these accounts of the Passion. Where's John's? John's shows up on... Um, on Good Friday. And so, on Good Friday, so it's read throughout it, and there's a few parts that stand out in the chief service, and one of those parts, well, actually three parts kind of stand out. First is the prayer, the bidding prayer, um, which is a prayer that the way it's done is the pastor will say a short introductory petition. There'll be a moment of silence to give people a chance to meditate on the prayer, and then the peti fuller petition will be prayed. And they do this several times, and the reason is, and it's, there's some value to it, because we as a culture do are not good with silence. 
We don't like it. We don't like downtime. We don't like silent time. It forces us to do something we're not comfortable with in order to meditate on prayer and prayer to God. And then after that, there is what is known as the adoration of the cross. Um, and that is when the pastor will say, Behold the cross on which the Lamb... You know, behold the the cross or whatever. And I can't. I don't have the liturgy with me, so I don't have the exact words. And if you, the church did it right, there was, uh, um, they veiled the cross. Someone, the service came started with that big cross, a big cross veiled in black. And so, as he says this three times, the first time he says it. He drapes part of the cross. The second time, he drapes another part. And then the third time, he fully uncovers it to reveal the cross. And then they go into what is known as the reproaches, which, I, again, I don't have those with me, but they are very, very powerful, very, very gut-wrenching. Uh, go l read them if you can find them. If you have a church that does them good, listen to those words. They will... They are hard-punching. And um, the, the hymn... And then there's a hymn that kind of goes with it. And then the service traditionally ends with the hymn. Um, one of two hymns. And what makes these hymns significant is that in... Um, throughout the season of Lent, if you look at the Lenten hymns, none of the Lenten hymns have doxological verses. In other words, the Trinitarian doxologies, you'll see... In the Lutheran service book, there's usually a little triangle letting you know where they are. And these are the hymns that you, these are the verses that you stand for. Lent does not have any of those. And until the very last hymn of the chief service of Good Friday. And the one that I like is Sing My Tongue, the Glorious Battle. So it's, Sing my tongue the glorious battle, sing the ending of the fray. So that and the thing reason why it's such a triumphant song and you're standing for that last verse, and it seems so out of place given the other Good Friday hymns like Stricken, Smitten, and Afflicted, or um Oh Sacred Head Now Wounded, but you had this big triumphant, vibrant hymn, so what's the deal? The deal is that the cross is a victory. It's the victory over sin, death, and the devil. It is a moment to remind you that though the cross is tragic and it is difficult to hear, the reality is that it brought salvation to the entire world. And the reality is, is the one who was crucified is risen from the dead. So you set up, and then later that night you do a tenebrae service. And the tenebrae is famous for, it does the John reading, but what really stands out is the slow extinguishing of the candles. One candle at a time until there's nothing left except the pastoral candle, the Christ candle. And that's the only one that's lit. And there is, and then at the end of the service, that Christ candle will leave the sanctuary, and you'll hear a loud bang. Some people will um, slam a book. Some people will slam a door, whatever it may be. There's a loud noise, what is known as the strepitus. 
symbolizing the sealing of the tomb. And then that candle will come back out and set into place. And the church leaves in silence and in darkness. And note, still, there's no invocation on Good Friday. And there is no benediction. The reason? The service is still not done. So the next day, the Easter Vigil. The Easter Vigil. You come in. And it starts out, some churches, and we're going to do this this year at our church, is we start out with the fire in the front of the church. We use the palm branches from Palm Sunday, and we burn them. And from that fire, we light the Christ candle. And from that Christ candle, we light all of your candles. And we process into the church in dark. The church, which is dark. The altar is still stripped from Monday Thursday. It was stripped for Good Friday. And we enter in, and that's silence. And those candles coming in. And I'll say, the pastor will say, The light of Christ, the light of Christ, thanks be to God. He goes to the middle of the church. The light of Christ, thanks be to God. And then he goes to the church. To the front of the church, right in front of the altar, and he lifts that cross, that candle ever so high, and says, The light of Christ! So loud. And they say, Thanks be to God. And they get to their place as the candle's put in its place. And you'll hear a beautiful introductory canticle. And again, I don't have that with me at the moment, so I can't read the words to it. And you'll hear some readings of the Old Testament. And by the way, as you read through these, the, the church gets brighter and brighter and brighter. It's the tenebrae service in reverse. The tenebrae, the church got darker and darker. In the ancient culture, the church got colder because they didn't have modern-day heating. And so the church was getting colder and colder. It's the candles and the fire and the lights got extinguished. On, good, on Easter Vigil, it goes the opposite. It slowly gets brighter and brighter and brighter and warmer and warmer. And there's an emphasis of baptism. There's an emphasis on the Lord's Supper. It parts in there. This was actually a tradition. It was very good to do baptisms at the Easter Vigil. And it was very beneficial um, to do um, confirmations, or actually more appropriately, First Communions. On the Easter Vigil, because baptism and the Lord's Supper are ways that, that the goods of of the Lord of Good Friday and Easter is delivered to you, and so we celebrate those two sacraments for that very reason on that day, as the church, as I said, gets brighter and brighter in the victory and the triumph of the cross grows and grows, and so. And there's and the readings specifically that you hear, they're from the Old Testament, are all Old Testament readings that point to some degree or another to baptism. Point forward to the New Testament sacrament of baptism. And there's a short homily sometimes, what is known as the pastoral homily. Um, it is written by uh, St. John of Chrysostom. And... 
there, but the thing that really stands out is this moment. So like I said, you come into the church and the way we're going to do it is the church is going to be stripped bare when you start. And then we're going to hear it. You're going to hear it for the first time. The Easter proclamation. Hallelujah. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. And all of a sudden, ding, ding, ding. Those bells you have not heard since Palm Sunday, which, you know, doesn't seem like a big deal if you've, that was the last time you were in church. But if you went through all Holy Week, you went through all these services, and you didn't hear that bell, you heard that ringing for the first time. It's a significance. The last time you heard it, you were hearing it tolling in, in remembrance of the fact that Jesus died on the cross. And now you're hearing it ring in victory. And those all the other crosses that were draped in black. Because a lot of times you didn't just... I mean, you may, you draped more than that large one. So the large one is undraped from Good Friday. But there's a bunch of them that are still covered. And so you start uncovering all of them as the bells are ringing in triumph. Like, ding, 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 ding. Like, it's a victory. Something awesome is happening. And then all of a sudden the congregation breaks out in the glory and at Chelsea's. <coughs> which has not been sung since the since Transfiguration Sunday for seven weeks. You have not heard that hymn, that song, and it begins singing. And we're going to do it where the altar, which has been stripped since Monday Thursday, it all begins to get covered again. And it's the, covered in white. And then you have the Lord's Supper. And one of the things I have a tradition of doing is I have a, a black chasuble that I wear for um, Easter Vigil and Ash Wednesday. So it's a large, flowing, black garment. And I still leave that on. So I'm like, I myself am the last remnant of Good Friday. And so what I, and there's a, what I have a, kind of an intentionality to that is that yeah, after the Lord's Supper... I remove it to reveal the white stool underneath to show that the Easter Vigil is the celebration of the resurrection. And it's kind of the idea they're coming in the mindset that Jesus died. But now we are meditating on why he died and the reality that he rose from the dead. And that is actually the traditional ending of the Triduum. Now, some churches will do that on the Easter Vigil, but on the Easter Sunrise service. So, somewhere in American history, specifically, this is an American Christian church in America tradition, uh, what is the Easter is the Easter Sunrise service. Uh, Christians were unwilling to stay up late for the Easter Vigil, and so they started the Easter Sunrise because they were willing to get up at 6.30, go to a service at 6.30 in the morning. And so, 6.30 in the morning, the sun is not yet up, the church gathers, it's still in darkness, and some will do a candlelight service, and some actually have the tradition of starting this, especially if you have one on property, you'll start the service at the cemetery. And at the cemetery, you will go through the, the committal rite from the funerals, or something of that nature, some type of a liturgy, and eventually you process in to the con into the sanctuary, and everything's dark. And this is something we're going to do this year, and I like doing, is that when we get into the church, 
we confess the Apostles' Creed will say, uh, and then when we get to, and on the third day he was risen from the dead, all of our lights are going to turn on to reveal it all in white, all decked out for Easter. And then the service slowly gets more and more joyful. And it's, kind of, it's the idea of those women when they came to the tomb that first Easter morning expecting to find a dead body and slowly coming to the realization something is up. It's not until Jesus says, Mary, that all of a sudden the switch in their head flips on and they realize something awesome has happened. Their Lord who they saw die is risen. And so that Easter sunrise is putting you through that journey. That you come in with that grief, that somber thought and feeling. And then it escalates to joy. The joy of the victory of the, of the empty tomb. And then comes the second Easter service. And the second Easter service is... What some what we call I like to call is the resurrection celebration, and the reason is because the service is so triumphant. You know those alleluias that you put away for lunch that you packed away and you haven't sung for a long time. They are they emerge and they are full on and they go crazy and they go bang and so like you say I think you. Many churches, they get up into the 70s to the hundreds of alleluias. It is incredibly victorious. And that's the Holy Week tradition. And it's a beautiful celebration of our church. So, with all of that in mind, as I said, we are going to read um, the, triumphal, the account of the triumphal entry and the traditional gospel lesson for Holy Monday. So this is John chapter 12, beginning at verse 12. It says, The next day the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel! And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written. Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness the reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they heard he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, You see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. Now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. 
But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his wife, his life, loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there and heard it said that it had thunders. Others said an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, This voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So the crowd answered him, We have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. How could you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is the Son of Man? So Jesus said to them, the light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of the light. When Jesus had said these things, he departed and hid himself from them. Though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him, so that the words spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Lord, who has believed what he heard from us, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore they could not believe, for again Isaiah said, He has blinded their hearts and hardened their heart lest they see their, uh, with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. Nevertheless, many, even of the authorities, believed in him, but for fear of the Pharisees they did not confess it, so that they would not be put out of the synagogue, for they loved the glory of God. The, they loved the glory that comes from man, more than the glory that comes from God. That is the text. I just one little comment in here. In the liturgy, in the communion liturgy, we have something that is known as the Sanctus. And the Sanctus incorporates two scriptural pieces. The first is from Palm Sunday, and the other is from Isaiah 6. The first part is from Isaiah, the start of it is Isaiah 6. So, oh, Holy, holy, holy Lord God of Sabaoth, heaven and earth are full of your glory. So you know that one. So the first part of it, that's from Isaiah 6. The second part, again, is from Palm Sunday. Why has the church connected those two? Well, first off, and the reason is because of this text we just read. John 12 begins with the Palm Sunday account, which that is, the, that is 
It's, it, so it begins with the, John, the Palm Sunday account. But it ends talking about, it says there in verse 41, Isaiah said these things, but he saw his, Jesus' glory, and spoke of him. So where, how, when, where are these verses from? It's from Isaiah 6. Which is when Isaiah saw the Lord high and exalted on his throne, surrounded by seraphim who sang, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, the earth is full of your glory. That's where it came from. It came, that's the reason they get united, is because I, John 12 ends with a reference to that moment. And it's very fitting, because the Holy Holy is, this, is about the angels and the company of heaven singing and celebrating Christ. Hosanna is about the people of earth, his disciples who are still living in this world, worshiping Christ. And just before that, we heard, therefore, the angels and archangels, with all the company of heaven, we laud and magnify our glory, your glorious name, and we're praising you and singing. And we're preparing for the Lord's Supper, which is where the church triumphant, who sings holy, 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 the angels and archangels and all the company of heaven, they sing in the presence of God. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty meets the church militant, which sings Hosanna. Hosanna, the highest Lord, save us. And in the Lord's Supper, we have the vision of the holy, holy, holy. We taste of it. And we receive God's salvation. It's pretty awesome. So with all that, um, I'm going to conclude with the hymn. I was going to play a recording of the hymn, but uh, my, which I usually play off of my computers. That's why the sound quality is not so awesome. Uh, but because my battery ran out, I am not going to sing that. So we're not going to do it that way. So instead, I'm going to sing a hymn. And this is a hymn for Palm Sunday that... Uh, is a newer one, and I think, let's see, the copyright, so it's written in 1984, and it's a very good one, but the one thing is, is that it's a, and the challenge is where do you put it, because it very much has a similar theme to Ride On, Ride On in Majesty, and for that reason, I like to include it um, in replace of the offertory right after the sermon to make sure it's included in there because it is a nice newer hymn that also confesses the reality that though Jesus rode into Jerusalem and he was celebrated as a king almost, he was coming in to die. And the name of the hymn, if you go into Lutheran service book, is 444, No Tramp of Soldiers Marching Feet. No tramp of soldiers marching feet with banners and with drums. No sound of music's martial beat, the King of glory comes. To greet warp above kingly pride, no bells in triumph ring. No city gates swing open wide, behold, behold your king. 
And yet he calms the children cheer with palms his path is strewn. With every step the cross draws near the King on glory's throne. Astride a colt he passes by as that hosannas ring. Or as the very stones would cry, Behold, behold your King. What fading flowers his road adorned, With palms how soon they down. No bloom or leaf but only thorn, The King on glory's crown. The soldiers mock the rabble cross, the street with tumult ring. As Pilate to the mob replies, Behold, behold your king. Now he who bore for mortals say the cross and all its pains, and chose the servants form to take the King of glory reigns. Hosanna to the Savior's name, till heaven's rafters ring. And all the ransomed host proclaim, Behold, behold your King. Let us pray. Lord God, Heavenly Father, as we enter in to this week of Holy Week, we pray that you would lead us and guide us to serve, commemorate, speak, read, meditate upon your passion in every way we can, and that we would be bold witnesses of your death and resurrection to a broken and falling world, that in the resurrection they would find hope, the hope of the life of the world to come. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. Amen.